Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast, Bud. Oh boy, got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, we'll kind of piggy off the Instant Reaction podcast. It's just disappointing a performance as, as anybody could have ever imagined or, or fathomed, and uh, we'll do our best to both review it, give you an idea as to what the rest of the season may look like, and kind of some of the transformation that may take place over what uh, what lies in front of us. As always, we'll thank our friends at New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, an instant upgrade to any meal or dish that's on your table, and always a uh, significant addition to the Nolcast. So we thank them. And uh, Bud, let's, uh, we'll do a little bit of game review. I mean, there's no use in us just you know, saying, oh, <laughs> nothing was good, everything was miserable, uh, and that's what happens when Miami beats you 52 to 10. But we'll, we'll try to find some of the good, some of the bad, and give you an idea as to maybe how ugly the rest of the season could look like. Well, I, I think to find some of the good, let's go ahead and, and uh, start to look at the second half of the game uh, since it was in garbage time, and obviously with the instant reaction, we were really just concerned with the result, uh, and I didn't really think we'd be dropping one at halftime, uh, but that's just... That's what happened because, you know, garbage time is 28 points down in the third quarter. Uh, shout out to the Choke Dope, by the way. Uh, one of the, I think, two or three exceptions in college ball history to that. But uh, statistically, that's where it was. I, I, I did see some good things from some of the youngsters in this game that might give you some hope going forward. So let's, let's start tonight with a little bit of hope. Uh, Lawrence Toa Philly, I thought, ran hard and flashed some. And yes, I. Look, it's against Miami's backups. I, I get that. I understand that. I don't want to have to say that for each of these guys. So for basically everybody I'm about to talk about, yes, it was against Miami's backups. I, I get it. I thought Lawrence Trofilly ran hard. I, I, I thought he showed some burst and, and some vision. And that's a guy who I think can be you know, a solid player for you. Is he somebody who I think needs to be your starter right now? Not particularly. But I, I think he's somebody you can maybe build on. I thought Brian, Brian Robinson played hard. He blocked. And I, I think he's going to be a guy who's going to end up being you know, a, a player for you. I thought Kentron Poitier largely did the same thing and, and, and fought for the ball and, and, and like was out there showing effort, which is more than I could say for you know, some of your starters who, quite frankly, just kind of laid down and quit in this game. Um, and then, of course, Maurice Smith, I, I think, continues to be a you know, decent player for you. At center, that's kind of what I have going on uh, for the offense. Yeah, I mean, it's not a ton of things uh, aside from from just the youngsters. I mean, I would say that uh, you know McDonald continues to evolve and have a better season than I would have thought. Uh, he is he's proven himself to be a a threat in the passing game uh, in a manner that I wouldn't necessarily have been able to predict coming into the season. A nice little piece that can you can kind of situationally build around. Yeah, uh, from there, it's it's a challenge. It'll be, you know, I think Rotomaker looked okay. I think he'll only continue to get opportunities in this offense. And, you know, maybe he's kind of a best of both worlds in a situation as far as being able to play some freshmen and, and still have an appeal for, for other kids when looking at the position. And that's a conversation that we can resume later in the pod. But, yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's no – try to be as authentic and honest with you as possible on this podcast. And Saturday night was – Certainly what we hope is a low point for the program. Uh, you know, is it going to be a low point as far as uh, score? No, it's probably not. You know, Clemson's going to do something similar to you. Notre Dame, basically what happened on Saturday night was what I thought Clemson and Notre Dame would do to you. 
it may be worse on the, against those two teams. UNC is probably going to embarrass you. You have the chance to get beat by every team on the schedule. And I would say maybe with the mental headspace of this roster right now, you may have the chance to get embarrassed by every team on this roster. And I'm not, I know who we're playing next week and I, I'm not going to retract that statement. This is a team that is soft. And if it gets down by 14 points, I don't know that it has the, the resolve to come back in any game. So the rest of this season is going to be filled with a, a lot of frustrating Saturday afternoons and Saturday evenings. Let's acknowledge it. Let's get it out of the way. And, um, you know, we can kind of kind of go from there. So I, I did go back and watch the first half, by the way. And I, I agree with you that this could be th- – th- this probably should be a low point. There's a chance that you lose a game by, by more than 42 this year. Uh, there's also just only so much time in a game. And you know, a lot of these teams are, are going to pull their starters against FSU this year. And, you know, like Cle- Clemson didn't beat Wake and, and didn't cover – was it 34 or, or, or 37? And I'm uh, even looking like this, I'm, I'm pretty confident if she's a better team than Wake. You know, like uh, I am too. I will say that there is something to be said for the helmet that, I mean, Clemson will try to hang 63 on you, and Clemson's players will be focused at a level, or at least, you know, trying, trying to embarrass you at a level that they probably don't when they, when they play Wake Forest. That's, that's entirely fair. Man, I just think that there is so much wrong with this offense right now. And, I wish there was like one thing you could go and fix, but I think there's a whole lot of interconnectivity that is going wrong. Um, and I was speaking to a friend about this tonight. You, you have receivers clearly running wrong routes and not giving a damn to block on, on too many plays. You have a quarterback who is, I think, not pulling the trigger on time on, on some of these plays, not, not reading the defense and, and not seeing things. Uh, he's clearly looking at the rush and, on the one hand, it's awful hard to blame him for that because the offensive line just... This is one thing that didn't surprise us. We, we said going into the game, there's not a single one-on-one matchup that you like. And even as we, we laid out you know, how Florida State could, in theory, pull the upset, the biggest thing we came back to when we said, yeah, but we're not going to pick that. Hell no. Because we realized just over the course of the game, they couldn't block anybody on Miami's defensive line one-on-one. And you can only double one guy. So you get the quarterback looking at the rush and not looking downfield. He's not seeing some guys who were open. There's a lot of clips floating around on Twitter. If you go back and rewatch, you can see this. Some of these clips, it looks like, hey, there's an open guy he needs to hit. Some of them, I think it's just clearly not the case uh, in terms of like that, that guy is not open within the context of, of the progression. And this is not Madden. And you're not just looking at the entire, you know, all five receivers at once and, uh, and just hitting you know, the B button. Blackman's clearly a problem for them. He's not getting better. I think he's actually worse than he was last year. The receivers are worse than they were last year. Is the offensive line worse than it was last year? I, I don't know that it is, but it certainly has not taken the step forward that they needed to. The tight end room's worse than last year overall, but I will give credit to Cam McDonald for, for being one of their better players on the night. A guy play, who's playing with effort right now and a, and a guy who's making some plays. But overall, like there's so much about this offense. They, they clearly are, are thinking they're, they're not executing. That's a problem that we're seeing on, on both sides of the ball. And uh, it's clear to me this staff did not do a good job of installing their stuff during COVID. And this is a criticism I'm going to have of them. There are some staffs out there who managed to get stuff installed. 
even though we had had the COVID offseason. Now, none of them, most of them don't look great. I, I don't think there's any any new staff that looks awesome on both sides of the ball. But FSU looks like they've gone 0 for 2 in installing their offense. Their kids don't know what they're doing. They don't look crisp to me at all. Like you got a lot of confusion out there. It doesn't make much sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think from a, from a broader perspective too, that um, your situation at offensive line has, has such a kind of permeating effect throughout the entirety of the team. that I think you've had two different staffs now overestimate what they have on defense and overestimate what they can do on defense because of what they see at practice leading into a season with, with what the offensive line looks up looks like against their respective front. Uh, I also think that it has a significant limit on the amount of reps and good reps that you can get in. It's a, it's a problem. I mean, it is a, it is a problem that impacts all the team and I'm not making excuses. The defense has been disappointing, has been hard, hard to come up with words. And also as somebody that talks about this and has been fortunate enough to do this for 10 years, I'll go ahead and get this off. I apologize to all our listeners. I, grossly overestimated how good this defense was going to be. And it's, it is a bad, bad unit, uh, relatively speaking. And they're not good at anything that we, know, that we thought they were going to be. So uh, that's on us. We'll have to have that in the back of our mind moving forward uh, as, we, as we try to look at, at what Florida State has. And uh, ourselves and a, and a lot of other people got that one wrong. You know who else did? The staff. Yeah. The second staff in a row that – came in because Willie's staff on defense thought, thought the defense was much better than it was too. This is a staff that, you know, several of these guys went to the, went to the freaking cotton bowl last year. They thought they were going to have a pretty good defense that, that the defense could carry this team. I do think part of this miscalculation by us and by, you know, them is probably related to just how bad this offense is. And that like, you're, you're thinking, okay, in two scrimmages, you kick the living crap out of your offense twice in a row uh, to the extent you can even run real scrimmages. This defense is going to be pretty good. You have a number of guys who you think are going to go play in the league. I still think they will go play in the league. I just think they're not being, they're not playing very well right now for you and you're not utilizing them uh, very well. But man, that's, this is tough to see defensively. So I, I said in the instant reaction that they looked unprepared defensively. And, and I, I kind of want to walk that back a little bit. I, I, I don't think that this staff is full of dummies. Uh, I don't think this staff has no idea what they're doing. I do think this staff failed to prepare this defense to be ready to play against Miami. They tried to go to this three-down look. It's something that they didn't just try to install this week. I know for a fact that they did run it some during fall camp. Ingram, these guys were playing slow. And when a defense with this amount of athleticism at certain spots plays slow, it tells me that they do not have trust in the system and understanding of the system. They have not internalized the system. It's not second nature to them to where they can see things and go react within the context of the system. I understand why they were playing the three down front. I thought the uh, explanation today from Coach Adam Fuller and, and the coaches on the Zoom call made sense that they had recognized that Miami had had some like you know, one play drives against Louisville and had nobody had really challenged them to drive the field yet. Honestly, we said the same damn thing on, on the preview podcast. I don't fault them for doing that, but let's be clear, the preparation and execution uh, was poor, and we saw that result. I mean, they scored 35. They scored a touchdown or a field goal on every drive 
up until garbage time. Five out of six were touchdowns, one field goal. And overall, I'm concerned about the extreme bend but don't break nature of this defense because it's bending and then also breaking once you get down there to the goal line. Like the stop never comes <laughs> for the most part. Now, granted, it did against Georgia Tech, but they are allowing an absurd, absurd amount of success on early downs, and they are not forcing long down and distance. No, they're not. And then uh, the thing that's the most baffling to me is, uh, you know, when you do get situations, and, and I realize third and short isn't necessarily uh, favorable to the defense, but it, when you get into heavily, uh, I'm struggling with the words, but a situation that you're fairly confident the run, a short distance run is going to be attempted. I'll put it that way. So third and second, third and one, uh, fourth and one. Man, I would have thought coming in the season that this would have been this defense's bread and butter. We knew they weren't going to be explosive in getting to the pass rusher. Uh, now maybe Kando would have taken a big step forward. Doesn't look like that happened. But man, stopping the run, stopping predictable run, I would have thought that that would have been Florida State's strengths. Hadn't happened yet. Hasn't happened yet. When I brought this up in the pre-show, Bud's like, yeah, you're right. 100%. Everybody's converted in those type of situations. I wasn't saying 100%. Like, I agree with you 100%, although I do. I was literally saying that they have allowed a 100% success rate in those situations so far. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that stat, but it's it's certainly what we've seen on the field. And that is, I, I would have never been able to fathom that with some of the pieces that are on this defense uh, coming in now. My only criticism of the of what they did, and, and I certainly sound, you know, and it's what we talked about, and it's what I said in various interviews away from from here, is that you know you were going to make King uh, earn it, and and you know you wanted to beat if he was going to beat you, make him beat you over a series of thirteen plays, not three, uh, as they did on another drive. But the type of defense that they were running certainly puts a lot of stress um, on your linebackers, and particularly the guys that line up uh, in the middle. And Florida State just doesn't have an answer there right now. And then we'll get to, you know, various pieces of uh, of the defense and some frustrations. But um, that that was my only frustration with the scheme is what you were doing forces an awful lot of play out of guys that just aren't there and aren't ready to give you that level of play. So. That, that, that's my, my single comment on schematically what you did, how you lined up, and some frustrations that I have with it. In addition to all the things that everybody else has talked about, why we play eight yards off on third and three and other stuff like that. You know, that's, that's, other people have made the points, and, and that's certainly valid. I, I really believed that this defense would be better this year because they were running a more cohesive scheme that everybody was pulling in the same direction. I, I, I do think they upgraded at linebacker coaching. But, man... I'm not seeing it so far. Like I can believe that this staff is a better staff of coaches, but it's more of just, it's more of a faith thing than it is like, like a belief based on evidence, right? Like we, we can say the job Norvell did at Memphis is more impressive than what Taggart did in his career. I agree. I, I actually think that's fair. That's evidence-based, but this staff in this current iteration together, they haven't shown a damn thing so far. They're, this is a worse team than it was last year. They, I, they're not much more disciplined, if at all. I, we can cite the penalty numbers, which, okay, I agree, but at the same time, they're not really trying to go fast like that. And so I think that's part of the reason why you had some of those alignment issues, not all, uh, last year. But the linebacker play is very disappointing. I mean, you, you have Amari Gaynor who does fly around, who does make an impact, 
is Emmett Rice any better this year than he was last year? Is, is Warner any better this year than he was last year? And this may just be a, hey, you, like, you didn't get spring and summer and you, have, you, you had to try and install your culture over Zoom thing, which is valid. And we'll probably keep saying it because it, it still happened. It still, it still matters. And a lot of teams are struggling with this who are in these situations. But damn, man, like they're not better at, at linebacker right now, I don't think, than they were last year. Do you? No, I don't, I don't think they are. And, uh, and Warner, you know, a conversation that we can have here in a second is, is kind of a, you know, youth movement, the uh, topic du jour for everybody. But Warner is, uh, and, the, and the same thing I, uh, that I see at other positions where I would be full, full on for youth movement. Warner's just guessing right now when it comes to some of his run reads. I mean, it, it is, it's tough to watch at times. A uh, guy doesn't know what he's doing. And if you're, I'd much rather have DJ Lundy guessing, you know, if you're going to have guys in there that are just trying to figure out, trying to get a feel for the game and where it's going, then uh, Warner's tough, man. And, and I've always been skeptical about what he could give you the close, you know, the more the middle of the field that he plays. He's got decent hands. He's decent situationally and in, in some pass coverage. I've always been skeptical in his ability to read Phil and and be a real kind of run stuffer. And I think if that's what we're expecting of him, we're going to be disappointed more times than not. I, I agree with you. All right, so that, that's kind of my review of the game. That, that There's not that much more to take away. I, I let, Let's go ahead and talk about this real quickly. Or well, Actually, this won't be real quickly. It'll, it'll probably be in a 10 or 15-minute segment. First, though, I want to tell you about no loans. Got to call Shannon Young, 844-FSU-LOAN. 80 Nolcast listeners have already got their loan or reviving. Shannon, again, that's 844-FSU-LOAN. Give them a shout and find out why. Great rates, awesome customer service, knowledge of the industry, experience, and, of course, a little bit of Noel chat if you're just looking to call somebody and commiserate about how this season is going. Shannon will absolutely talk your ear off about the Knowles while giving you a great loan. 844-FSU-LOAN. So, how many questions did we get about a youth movement, either on Twitter or, you know, Patreon or email I, or text message? When can we go to the youth movement? And we had a pretty good discussion about this before the podcast, and we were debating if we were going to put it in. And I was like, dude, this is podcast gold. Like, let's put this into the show because Ingram had some really good points. I think a youth movement in some way is necessary, but you brought up some really important points here. And, and it's not just the, Okay, who sits? Fine. That's fair. Like the why you do it, the how you do it, and the when you do it, that also really matters. So like what why would you do it? I I think this is probably the most obvious of of these of these segments. It's a it's a tough situation because you're O2 and you've gotten embarrassed and you know, it looks as though there's you're sitting on a hanging a real nasty <laughs> a real nasty record when it comes to to your season record and people like us could talk about year zero and things like that it still matters to an extent what what your overall record is i mean you're coaching at florida state and uh, we can practice patience and and some of the larger boosters that i've kind of talked to seem to be understanding is the situation it's real tough to coach at florida state and win two games in a year you know i mean and I even <laughs> play every old guy, play every young guy, whatever. I'm not sure you win more than four games, maybe five tops. Um, and, and that may be included in a, a generous bowl invitation at this point. But you do have to have some, you know, you, you do have to still put out a roster that gives you the best chance to win a game. You can't, 
you know, you can't uh, turn into over or you can't have your one win be against, uh, be against Jackson State. The main reason why you do it, though, I think is because you've seen a number of these upperclassmen not conform to your culture that you know, you've admittedly, I think, not been able to fully install at this point through a lot, you know, not necessarily your own fault. Uh, and you need to start building for the future because Mike Norvell is not going to be judged on this year. I really don't think he's going to be judged a whole lot on, on 2021. I, I, I think, A, should he be and will he be are perhaps two different questions. And the answer might honestly be to both no, at least not judged by the people who matter, who, who had the purse strings. Yeah, I was going to add a qual- qualifier there because he, there will be some who absolutely judge him next year. Uh-huh. And they might vote with their wallets and, and, and not, not buy season tickets and whatnot. And that's, it's hard to blame them after the product that this school's put on the field for the last five years, especially relative to the expectations. He needs to get this thing moving in the right direction by 2022. I think we both agree on that and, and show real progress by, by 23. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's where they have to go. If that means getting some guys, some reps, if that means trying to flip your culture via going youth movement, maybe, maybe that's what you do. But I I do think this is important here. How you do it matters almost as much as if you do it right. And so this is your segment, man. This is what we put in there because you, you, you had this, we really can't use the exact words that you said pre-show, but you nailed it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you you do have to be careful here, and and I think you bring up some good points about why and why you do it is because you hit the low point. There's no ex- any expectations. Anybody that thought you were going, you know, winning seven games, anything. That's all. That ended Miami's third drive on Saturday night, right? So I can talk about the fact that you can't win one or two games, but at this point, I think the entirety of the fan base has accepted um, this season's of a write-off basically and it's nasty and it's not going to get it much better but you still have guys in that locker room and if they're doing what you want them to and if they're participating in practice and if they're being a positive impact on on the culture and the overall want you can't just screw somebody because they're a junior or a senior I mean I know it's it's fun for for us after a loss to say I'll never play him again I'll never play him again he can pack it up and go, et cetera. Uh, but if you've got guys that are trying to do the right thing, you can't just go and, and screw them. That can, that can have just as much of a deleterious impact on culture as keeping guys who aren't doing the right thing in. Uh, I know that may sound kind of crazy, and we didn't mention this in the, in the pre-show, but hey, look, there's not a whole lot of guys that are going to be playing on Sundays here. And another aspect is that if you've got an upperclassman that's doing the right thing and has a chance to contribute to you, he may be around next year, even if originally there wasn't going to be eligibility left. I mean, this if you want him be, back, yeah, if you want him back, and because the, the school the school does have the option. That's a good point, but you know, you can use behavior. You can't use age. You can't go to a guy and screw him because he's a junior, and he might not have signed with you. He still signed with this school with the idea of getting to play football, getting to be developed. Uh, doesn't mean that you don't introduce young kids to rotation. But if, if he's doing what you want him to do and he's, he's, adding, you know, he's the best option you have, I don't think you just go tell a kid to pack up because you know, he was class of uh, 2018 or something like that. Yeah, it, it may not go very well with his friends who are some underclassmen too, right? If they see, you know, if I'm freshman Bud Elliott and I, I see junior Ingram Smith who's not playing very well, they're like, all right, well, 
but like you're st- you're still playing hard, you're still showing up on time. If if I just throw freshman Bud Elliott in there, he's not ready to play at all, right. just because he's young. Yeah, guess and what? if Ingram Smith frustratingly is playing well, but is still your best option, then I, I think you again you can use behavior, you can use culture, you can use whether or not he's a plus add on in the locker room. You can't just go to a kid and say you're not playing anymore because you've been here for three years. I I, I agree with that um, because the kids who are freshmen now are going to remember that, and that could could create some trust issues down the line. If all of a sudden they go, oh wait, like if I'm a if I'm a junior and I'm not balling out, am I just going to be thrown away? You know, that's that's something you have to think about. I do think that you can on the margins use age a little bit. Not necessarily to like bench, you're never playing again, because I don't, I think that's another problem that we'll discuss in a second. But I think you can use like, hey, Ty goes to the young player, right? Ty goes to the young player, undoubtedly. That's not what I'm saying. Trust me, I'm not trying to say that just because somebody's an age that they stay, but I'm saying that you don't screw them simply because of their age. Okay. So here's the other thing then. I think you can you can maybe justify it and say, look, we just we didn't get a spring, we didn't get much of a fall camp. We need to have more everybody be getting reps in games so that we can see what they can do in games. Because <clears throat> James Blackman, you don't always play in a game like like you do, you know, in in practice. The other thing is you can't just go and totally bench all these old guys. You still have to play games this year. You still like you don't want to be the ACC team who is missing five, six games due to COVID stuff. And there are certain minimum roster requirements you have to maintain to play a game. For instance, I think you have to have, what, at least one quarterback on the roster and you need to have seven offensive linemen on your roster. I believe scholarship guys is the rule, but I might be wrong on the scholarship part. It's a challenge for us at the best of times, but uh, yeah. But okay, so if I'm if I'm an upperclassman at Florida State and you're like, hey man, we're just going to go youth movement, we're going to bench you. If I know I got my free year eligibility, I'm just gonna be like, guess what? Hmm, I'm gonna keep. I'm not gonna keep following these very strict pro, you know, COVID protocols. Not seeing my friends who who aren't aren't on the football team, staying in my dorm, you know, the athletic dorm, all, all the time. Or do I just get to opt out, keep my scholarship, keep my meal plan, all that stuff, go out, have a good time, you know, like I'll hit the transfer portal after the semester's done. I, I, why am I following all, all, all these all these really really tough you know COVID protocols? To, so what that I can be eligible to play when I know you're going to bench me and not play me? Yeah, and you also you do it for the young kids themselves. You're not doing Toa Philly any any favors by turning around and giving them ball 23 times a game against Clemson and Notre Dame and stuff like that. I mean, you you got to bring these kids along to an extent as well. And I know. It's nice to see some flash from the younger players, and it's it's nice to see that Josh Griffiths can occasionally shed a block because we don't see that at the defensive end position much. But if if you roll out there and you know run him sixty eight plays a game, I, I don't know that you're doing that kid any favors either. Uh, and and all these you know the shine is certainly going to come off some of these guys that the fan base is currently kind of borderline infatuated with because they. They haven't seen them fall start. They haven't seen them line up in the wrong position. They haven't seen them fumble the ball in a time where it's kind of inexcusable and hard to fathom how the ball came loose there. So um, I know everybody wants the youth and wants the next thing, and so do I to an extent. You just have to be measured in this. I mean, I see people talk about not playing Asante Samuel anymore. You're crazy if you think that. Um, 
I would be real careful about casting off Love Taylor. I know people want to move along on the offensive line. That's a kid that may be here next year if you want him. And by all accounts, it's a kid who works pretty hard and does the right thing. I, you don't just go to a kid and, and you know, tell him he's done uh, because you as a coaching staff have turned in kind of two clunkers in the first game, first two games of the year. Right. It, it, exactly right. It, it is a way that you can kind of lose the team or at least lose a decent chunk of the team. And even if the guys you're playing are, are going to remember how that goes down. But, and and I, I don't mean to keep being long-winded here. It also makes you <laughs> all the less of an attractive position for transfer portal kids. If you think that they're going to come in, and if two to three games things don't go well, that you're not going to see the field again because this staff just says, screw it, we got to go another youth movement again. I mean, you've got to be cognizant of how you deal with kids, both 17-year-olds, 20-year-olds, and 22-year-old graduate prospects. It's, uh, it does matter. It does. It absolutely matters. And th- that's why I wanted to bring this up. I, I thought this, this pre-show conversation we were having was really good. I do think there's a way you can work this, though. Um, you can start to rotate guys a lot under the guise of we need to be like, look, Ben, this season's off the rails. We need to make sure we evaluate everybody. You know, we're still trying to win games. But like once these games get out of hand a little bit, boom, boom, boom. Right. Like, like so for an example, if we were already using this "quote unquote" youth movement plan against Miami, once they're down twenty-one points against a team that you're you're already a you know, three-score underdog to or two-score dog, I'm 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 putting in more backups. I'm starting to rotate guys, you know, more quickly there. I'm starting to rotate guys in practice. Try try different combinations there. You know, see how see how a guy like a Robert Scott or you know a, a, a Schrader how they react if they get to play some offensive line now. Then, if they actually end up outplaying some of the veterans, either in terms of production or effort, then you kind of get to slide them in because then their teammates see the justification and the teammates buy into the justification for the changes in the depth chart is pretty important. Those guys are at practice. And I think some of them believe that Rodermaker gives them the best shot to win. But Rodermaker, did you think he was better than James Blackman if you count for who he was facing in the game situation? I, maybe in one game, but it's not clear. <laughs> I was going to say the only caveat here I'd add is quarterback. I mean, it, right. it, I, I was of this opinion last week, you know, you and I had a good conversation. I think you brought up a great point uh, with when and, and when, uh, you know, Purdy needs to get introduced and, and why may and not by why it may not be last weekend, even if he was healthy, etc. But yeah, no, James is a, uh, by all accounts, a good guy doesn't need to ever take a snap for Florida State again in a, in a meaningful moment, in my opinion. I, I think I agree with you on that. So let's go ahead and go down this list then. Because I, I think this would be interesting. I, I just want to throw some names at you. And this is, I, I don't know, maybe a little more personal than, than we normally want to do as far as calling out individual guys. But So if you were Coach Norvell, which of these guys are, are you benching or putting them on a rotational plan? Blackman, I think you just answered. I agree with you. I, I would definitely uh, start to play, certainly when Purdy is back, right? And I'm, I would give Rodemaker some some reps against Jacksonville State. Uh, Cam McDonald, I think he should keep playing. He's only a junior. He's going to be here next year. Seems to be doing the right things. He's outspoken, you know, like, like as as a you know, community service guy. And there's also no piece behind him that you're doing great service to by playing. You know, I mean, I know they gave Wyatt Rector a scholarship, but he's not. Is he really a scholarship quality player? 
maybe debatable. Is he a, you know, is he a starting quality player? Of course not. Tamari and Terry has gone through a lot of crap. Obviously that that's, that's beyond his control and, you know, missed some practice. Knees bothering him apparently and had the blow up on the sideline. Knees bothering him. And the hit at Georgia Tech was, you know, sometimes hits are bad. Sometimes hits look bad and they aren't bad. Sometimes hits look, uh, you know, innocuous and, and you end up getting crap rips from them. That the 242 pound safety from Georgia Tech hit that kid pretty good. And his knee uh, is not related to that hit, but he's dealing with two different things right now. That's still. Um, any, any end of the loss in his personal life. I'm torn on this one, bud. There's a decent part of me that, that wants to tell Tamari and Terry to go back to Ashworth, Georgia, or go to San Diego, or go to Atlanta, or go to wherever he thinks is the best place to prepare for the NFL draft. So you try to get him to opt out. There's also part of me that realizes that there's been a lot going on. I don't think he was <laughs> the biggest fan of some of the situations that he was put in, and, and running a an end around with a kid who has health concerns is. I have some some questions about that. Terry, in all likelihood, can go. In my opinion, uh, you know, I, I I'm not trying to make it personal. I'm not trying to snap at a kid, but you can't be snapping at your coach. You you underperformed grossly in the Georgia Tech game, uh, relatively speaking, and I'm not sure you're a real addition to the locker room right now. Yeah, I think the culture thing is a big element of this, right? Like that can be an important quote unquote tiebreaker. Like if you are not a positive for the culture, then yeah. Uh, Ontario Wilson? Um, I know there was a period of time where he went with the team uh, at the beginning of the season or beginning of camp. By all accounts, that was cleared up. Uh, As long as he's doing what you ask of him, I have him in the rotation. I don't. Uh, You know, because there are younger players. I give him some look, um, but I don't bench him. But I start to give his snaps away to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I rotate him pretty heavily. Like the, the chance that he busts out and becomes a really high impact guy, I think is, is kind of low uh, at, at this point. And at max, you probably get one more season out of him. All right. Here's one for you. Third year player here. Not an old guy, but not a super young guy. It's, it's getting late early. Warren Thompson. He's starting to give some of his snaps to Brian Robinson and Ketron Pointier. At least they blocked and gave some effort. Culture-wise, certainly not a not a positive. Uh, I think you tell I think you tell Warren Thompson thanks for the memories at this point, you know, and and you tell him best of luck uh, wherever else that may be. I mean, there's there's some culture questions, there's effort questions, and I'm not trying to be a smartass, but the guy has never displayed the base level skill that's necessary to play wide receiver when it comes to catching the football. I mean, I mean receiving the ball. Yeah, I mean, there's there, every question in the world's there. I don't, I, I don't know that there's a great talent to, you know, I mean, there's physically, there's certainly a intriguing diamond that you'd love to polish and, and see what that ends up showing up. And there's clips where, you know, I've seen some practice film and stuff like that. And Warren, you're like, damn, that is a big guy. And that is a ridiculously smooth looking athlete. But this isn't a, you know, nobody's running a, a 200 yard dash here or whatever else. I mean, the, the, we're playing football and, Warren Thompson has never displayed the level of skill that's necessary to play the position that he currently lines up at. Yeah, he doesn't catch the ball, which is which is problematic. Uh, but yet they fought to have him like they they took him back on the team after the whole public social media thing. So they they, they I think it's a bad look for them to to cut bait on Warren Thompson after just two games after you the staff took him back. Like if you took him back for a reason, which is probably his talent level, right? I. 
I would, but I would, I would rotate him, right? I, I would play him about the same amount. I, I play Brian Robinson and, 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 uh, and, and Kentron. I mean, elements of PR to taking him back as well, sure. but, uh, it certainly doesn't hurt that he's, you know, six, three and a half and looks like a NFL prospect, uh, plays like a guy that, you know, probably needs to be playing D2 or something like that. Baby on. Sorry, man. I don't need you to, I mean, I know there's not a lot of great options behind him, but man, if you're making, if you're making mental, like drive killing mistakes, I don't, I can't have it. And, uh, that's, that's a place where, you know, maybe, maybe you give freshmen, maybe you give kids snaps that you don't think they're quite ready for. Uh, but baby on just didn't work out. So, all right. Uh, how about you, you gonna start rotating Dante Lucas? That's uh, that's two straight games where he didn't play well. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of rumors floating around, and I'm not insinuating he's going to leave the program or something. But I, I think it wouldn't shock me if you, maybe you don't see him next week. We'll have to see. Yeah, I rotate Dante Lucas. I rotate Dante Lucas not because I plan on going away from him, but I try to get a feeling like, hey, look, do we need to fish or cut bait with you? Are you are you going to grow up dramatically mentally and start to just display some of the baseline traits that are necessary to play college football and not be ridiculously radical and or ridiculously uh, just thrown off kilter and, and do more, more of a shot across the bow necessarily than a, than an idea that you're necessarily going to lead the kid. But uh, yeah, I, I start to plant the seed. So you, you'd give, you give Schrader or, or somebody some, some of his snaps. All right. Every third drive I'd, I'd give him, I'd give another kid a, a go. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I, you, you can't cut bait on Dante because I think his top level ability is still pretty high. It's clear that he did not get a regular offseason. I mean, nobody did with COVID, but he was actually recovering from from that nasty leg injury. I, I and you don't really have the luxury of of cutting bait on Dante. Like you need to to keep investing your time in him. I, I think just because of the the weakness of that offensive line position. All right, quickly on defense, Denarius is an interesting one. Like I think he does the right things for you program wise. You also don't have anybody behind him. I think you really want to see if they can play or not. Like, I, I guess you keep running them out there, but, but may, maybe rotate him some more. Kando, if he comes back healthy at some point, you know, we'll see what do you do with Marvin Wilson. He's not, he's not played at a high level so far. I mean, you, you're going to try and youth movement him. <sighs> he's not playing well at all. Uh, hard for me to make sense of. I, I rotate. I I start to rotate him some. Yeah, I do. I don't sit him. I don't look. Kid came back again. By all counts, I don't think he's a. I don't think he's a cancer in the locker room. I, I don't think he's a uh, problematic. But again, I you know if if maybe you're planning previously for Marvin to get seventy snaps, uh, maybe he gets somewhere between forty five and fifty five. Uh, you know, may, maybe you start to rotate. Uh, there are a couple bodies there that you need to get ready and. Um, I don't think you you. That's one kid. You're not well served if you wake up and Marvin Wilson says he's not going to play for you again, which is a possibility. But uh, I try to keep him in the mix. At the same time, I, I start to put him on a, a limited rotation. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I, I also want to point out something that I, I'm not sure that people realize how many snaps some of these young guys are already getting in these games. Like the, do it like going to quote unquote youth movement would not be quite as radical as I think a lot of people think. Now, if they want to see these guys start, 
I got to tell you, I, I think FSU will be a worse team if, if, if some of these young guys start. Like we're, we're talking about getting them experience, not because we think it's actually going to help them win games in most cases. Well, they're they're a worse team now, and they're a hell of a lot worse team five five games from now when you have COVID injuries and everything else. I mean, Josh Griffiths got thirty seven snaps in this game. Raymond Woody got twenty four. Deloach got twenty one. Uh, Jaleel McCray got twenty six. Brendan Gant got twenty four. You know, Jerry and Jones got got thirty three. Jarvis Brownley got got forty one. Uh, so Fabian Lovett got fifty six. They they are. They're rotating a lot already, um, like, like, like a whole lot. So this is basically, I think, when do the snaps come and how much more you know, do you rotate? Uh, the, the two moves that I think you need to probably see is like, Rice and Werner are, are just not playing well. And they had, what, like almost 90 snaps combined? That, that's, that's a spot that I, I think you need to go ahead and just bite the bullet and, and, and you know, keep playing gainer. Play Dicks, see, see what you get out of Lundy. I, to be honest, I'm not totally sure what's up with Deloach. I, I really expected him you know, more out of him, uh, and I think the staff did too. You're obviously not <clears throat> not going to bitch Asante Samuel. This has probably gone a little bit too long as far as conversation, but like they're already rotating guys, especially on defense. Now this was a blowout, so I think what we're saying here is a do it on offense too, and b. You need to do this in some of the games that are not quite as big a blowouts, but you're still not going to win. Yeah, and do it. We don't need to go back, but do it full speed ahead at linebacker. Yes, I mean, oh, just do it for sure. Do it, hundred uh, percent. That was that was pretty solid. You know, else is solid, man. Mad so Madison social uh, one people that we never have to be worried about putting on a snap count, appearance count, or concerned as to how they project to the future. Uh, great people. Always a, uh, a friend to the Nolcast and always a friend to uh, those who support Florida State Athletics in general. Uh, if you get a chance to support them from afar, if you get a chance to go uh, when you're in Tallahassee, it is greatly appreciated. Look forward to working with them. And uh, at this point, man, <laughs> I'm really excited for basketball season. I, I hope that things are a little bit more normal and, and maybe we can go to Madso and enjoy a couple beers on the on a patio and head over to, uh, to watch some basketball, but just uh, thrilled to be able to work with them uh, in any way possible. And we'll go ahead and plant the seed as the 17th of the month is Ruben day. So you got two and a half weeks, go ahead, put it on your schedule, be prepared and enjoy uh, one of the better offerings of the Tallahassee culinary world. I, I texted Matt and you on Saturday night. I don't know if you recall this or not. Uh, I said, I'm going to drop the instant once this hits garbage time. This is after we had had a few comments. Uh, back and forth, and uh, Matt responded, "We aren't there." And I said, uh, "LOL, strict strict stats definition, uh, not quite yet." And then I don't know if he realized I was serious or not. But when was it over for you, bud? Just curious. Like, what? When was in my head? Was it over? Uh, I have a very definitive point for myself. But uh, when when did you accept that this is only going in one direction? Probably when Miami scored its second touchdown. No, yeah, well, that's I a think. Boring. Is that what you had? Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. I mean, yeah. it's exactly, I mean, and you don't need to give me the. Yeah, it was. I mean, I was slightly more optimistic than you were when it came to the score, the ability to stay in the game. But I think I was more pessimistic as to what the offense was going to do. I mean, I think I predicted 3.7 YPP or something. I mean, I knew it was going to be nasty. You almost, nasty. I think you nailed that, didn't you? And uh, pretty close. But, but when they go down and score on the second drive, it's over. It's, I mean, it, it is for all intents and purposes over. Because uh, you know, or at least you're fairly confident, 
that you're going to be exceptionally limited in moving the ball, particularly the further you get away from your script. And it was just way too, way too clear at that point. And to think that that was, you know, six minutes into the game or whatever is depressing, but there aren't a whole lot of things for Saturday night that are real uh, uplifting. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, because look, at that point, if you're just doing some projections, okay, Miami's going to score at least 35. Can FSU score even 60% of that? I, I highly doubt it. This one is is basically over uh, unless, like, you know, King were to get hurt or something like that. Uh, even then, you, you still are not – probably not going to move the ball. Uh, and then I also looked up, I was like, oh, 14 plays on the opening drive. That means the script is just about out. Uh, so, like, there, there won't be another script drive coming here. And when there is the smallest glimmer of hope of making it a game, not necessarily winning, but making it a game, James will throw into triple coverage and it'll be intercepted. You can put that hope back into a box and pack it away and leave it where it should have been the whole time. So um, let's talk a little bit here, bud. This may be clunky to an extent, but I just want to want to talk about the idea of leading and lagging indicators. And I know, um, you know, look, I, I know that, well, first of all, Bud and I are exceptionally blessed to have the the listenership and the number of listens uh, that we do for a single team podcast. Um, we're uh, it's we're very fortunate, and, and we thank everybody that supports the show and listens to the show. At the same time, I think we have to be cognizant that, like, if you're listening to the Nolcast, if you're listening to Bud and I talk two or three times a week, and you're listening to some of the other great options when it comes to Florida State podcasts and Florida State media you're of like the five to 10 to maybe 15%, like most emotionally invested of, of the fan base. You go through this process stuff, care at a level that a lot of people don't. And I know over the past couple of years, there's been conversations that are, that are tough to listen to that have been on this podcast. At the same time, we always try to be honest as possible. We try to see what's coming and tell you that. And, um, you know, last last Saturday night and a lot of things that have happened have, have kind of been the fruition of a or, or the comings to fruition of some pretty dark conversation that have been on this podcast. So I'm not going to continue to bang your head over that, but I do want us to look at a couple of the positive things that may be in the podcast or that may be in the podcast, maybe in the program, uh, what we can take away from it, and uh, you know, just to keep an eye on as you kind of transition from what you hope is a low point. Uh, last Saturday, at least a low point when it comes to expectations and the reality as to where the program is and uh, and moving forward. Now that now that I think everybody's on the same page that this is a legitimate rebuild, and when you you know have four head coaches in a or three head coaches in a four year span, that's especially in the early signing period era. We said this before COVID. Now I think like we should mention like in the COVID era too. Uh, you're going to be committed to a rebuild. I, we're still going to analyze how the games go because there is a certain portion of the listenership that wants that. So like the instant reaction pod is still going to be just raw. Here's how the game went. Here's what I saw. Here's what Arab saw. The Monday show, which is what we do tonight, we, we dropped on Tuesday mornings, is is more like big picture looking at, can we take away any positives? Are there any positives? Like it's not that we're not going to never, it's not like we will never be po- negative, but I think because we're all on board, this is a, a committed rebuild. We're looking for signs of progress in, in the rebuild and evaluating the, the trajectory and, and pace of the rebuild and the job that this coaching staff is doing while still trying to learn a whole lot about this coaching staff, right? I mean, I, I, I don't think they have even a fraction installed and, and mastered of what they really want to have installed. So yeah, like the instant reactions, 
This year will probably continue to be somewhat uh, negative, but I'll try to do a better job of pointing out some of the positives that, that the team has, or at least the young guys. And in the Monday show, it's a little more big picture like this, while also pointing out what we saw uh, on the rewatch. Uh, oh, hey, one note here uh, that was on my rewatch sheet. Florida State's blisses are just horrendous. I don't want to go negative after you just said we're going to go more positive, but like, do they ever get home on a blitz? I can think of but one. I mean, yeah, it's a, you know, the defense is, I know everybody's got a lot of questions about it and we'll watch and continue to make sense of it. It's hard to, it it appears to be a group that's still trying to get a feel for what they have coaching wise and and what exactly they want some of these pieces to do. But uh, the blitzes have been frustrating and uh, the success rate has been Almost uh, that of which uh, the you know the stat that we referenced earlier in the podcast about the defense stopping people in short distance situations. So yeah, frustrating. All right. Uh, so some positive stuff. Let's start. Let's start with your guy, Amari Gaynor, looking awesome out there. Yeah. So not only from the level of play, obviously he has been one of the few bright spots uh, on the team. But I want to I want to pull this up and not be. None of the conversation that I'm about to have is, is an attempt to take away from what Amari Gaynor's done or minimize it. He's been a he's been one of the few pieces that actually looks like a Florida State defensive football player out there. He's been a lone bright, uh, bright spot. I also want to point out that Amari Gaynor's from Tallahassee, and why I point that out is because he's one of the few players over the summer who actually had a chance to have some. Ref, you know, some reflection of what a real offseason looks like. He had access to a weight room, he had access to calories, he had access to Coach Storms uh, at a level that most of this roster didn't. Now, I'm not saying everybody's going to look like a Maury Gaynor moving forward and that everybody's going to play like him, uh, but I do think that they're like Storms is still a really good strength and conditioning coach. And, Bud, you, you did a good job of tempering some of the optimism uh, about. COVID and the impact that it would have with strength and conditioning. I still think the kids that he was able to work with uh, have benefited, have been significantly benefited by it and the beneficiary of that. I think we have to acknowledge that Gainer's one of the few kids, and maybe that's a thing for optimism. Maybe that's uh, an idea as to some of the growth that can take place with a more traditional offseason. And uh, Gainer, like we said, one of the few kids who really had access to the, you know, the meat and potatoes of, of improving from one point to the other. So I just want to point that out, not only as level of play, but maybe a broader reason for optimism as to what uh, can take place with a, a little bit more of a, a traditional summer. I'm excited, and I'm, I'm excited as he grows and, and learns to play even more within the context of the defense, because there are certainly some plays where he's you know, maybe not in position because he's playing so aggressively, but at least he's playing fast and physical out there, and it is somewhat depressing that he stands out as being fast and physical because everybody else on the screen looks like they're moving in slow motion at times, right? Like, doesn't he look different to you out there? Like, he really pops. Yeah, he looks different from a – I mean, he, he looks like a linebacker. Uh, you know, he's got, he's got all kinds of veins in his arms and, and you know, looks, looks like he could play at a, at a decent level. But he's one of the only people who doesn't look as though he's going through not only just one idea, but multiple ideas before responding to anything. He's, he's one of the only players who seems to be just out there playing, responding to what he sees, and, and immediately trying to do what he's diagnosing. There seems to be a whole lot of reaction and, uh, and just kind of timidness displayed by some of the other parts of the defense. So let's also talk about a new offensive tackle. Um, oh, actually, hold on. Let's, let's talk about Renardo Green. 
I thought Ronald Green actually was was okay. I know I know he you know got beat on on the deep pass, but ultimately, like that's that's a really tough cover. That that, that dude that beat him's got some serious speed, and uh, like that's largely a function of that's going to happen if you never get any kind of pass rush going. And Coach Fuller actually said as much today on his Zoom call that like you know this there's a lot of stuff that's not going to work if you don't get any kind of pass rush. So I, I thought Green played fairly well. So in our effort to point out guys who are playing somewhat well, uh, who are going to be here for at least two more seasons, uh, Renato Green's a sophomore and he's playing safety and he's playing it decently. I don't think he's an amazing player right now, but like he's not terrible. He's not an absolute liability out there. Uh, he was one of your better starters. I thought that Fabian Lovett actually got some pass rush pressure for you at times, um, which was, which was good to see. I thought Corey Durden had some okay pass rushes for you. And you know, Deloach got a little bit of pass rush pressure as well as you know Marvin did kind of too. The issue is, I mean, who was your best defensive end in this game? Quayshawn barely played any snaps. Yeah, Josh Griffiths was. Yeah. And and you know, like he makes one play that's an actual football play, like a good, like, hey, damn, I like it. Um, well, he made a couple. He, he shed a blocker in a in a manner that I haven't seen a defensive end do in a while. Uh, granted, it's garbage time. I think it's with a second or third team tied in. Uh, but there's one play that he makes a defensive end where he he strings out the play. I think he ends up making a tackle or half tackle on the play, and it's a level of play from a def- defensive end that I haven't seen um, in a while. You know, and I'm not. I, I started to say some names that I have no right to compare him to at all. He's not. He's not. Walker or Burns or anything else, but uh, kid makes a play, kid strings a play along, and uh, there's a motor there. And I'm not just trying to be like, oh, he's a white guy, high motor. No, man, that dude wants to play football and he wants to be successful. And that's a piece. I, I'm not blowing smoke. He's not going to be a first round pig. I don't think he's going to be all ACC, but that's a piece that I think you can have a lot of confidence in that he's going to continue to work. Whatever the ceiling is, he's going to bust his rear to get there. And that's uh, a nice, nice little find from from your first class. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think he can be a player who helps you. Um, if he's starting for you in 2022, athletically, you know, pass rush burst wise, I think that might say something about you know what you've done recruiting wise. But I think he could be an important depth piece slash rotational guy for you in the future. Uh, we already mentioned Toa Philly. If if you got more on him for sure. Uh, yeah, no, I just liked what he did. I mean, I mean he's he's a nice little blocker, and it wasn't. Uh, there's some things, and I, and like I said earlier in the podcast, I don't just want to. As soon as a freshman makes half a play, I don't want to be like, oh man, wow, we got to play this kid every snap. We got to, you know, that's the future. But there are some nice signs there. He sets up his blocks uh, in a manner that I haven't seen uh, from from some of our other backs. And I did think Corbin was a much better player from the Georgia Tech game. And that's not a kid who I would go away from uh, necessarily. But uh, I liked what Toa Philly did, certainly a level of explosiveness uh, that you saw. And, uh, you know, a, a guy that will continue to be heavily involved in what you do. Uh, before we move to some real damn positive leading indicators, uh, when it comes to form of a four-star offensive tackle, want to thank our friends at Congruity. Uh, <laughs> they are certainly a positive leading indicator for your business, can make a, make it the absolute optimized uh, situation possible. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized with highly customer HR solutions designed to enhance your brand 
save time, save money, and reduce business risk. Contact our friend Matt Lewis at 844-247-4100. You can request a demo. He can walk you through the process, show you where Congruity may be able to add value to your business, and just help you operate in a more effective, productive, and profitable manner. Email is Knowles at congruityhr.com. Again, N-O-L-E-S at congruityhr.com. Awesome. So, you know what else is awesome as far as personnel solutions? Rod Orr. Rod Orr commits to Florida State, a guy clearly showing faith in FSU's rebuilding process, probably seeing some of that potential early playing time available. Uh, not a guy who I think is going to come in and be an instant impact player at offensive tackle, but Ingram, we are talking about four-star offensive tackles actually saying yes to FSU and still a long way to signing day. But uh, the relationship he's formed with Coach Alex Atkins, who uh, offered him early and, and you know showed quite a bit of faith in Orr throughout the process, uh, has built a relationship with Orr and his family. Uh, former basketball guy, somebody we talked about on this show, I think long before FSU ever even offered him. That's a big get for them. It really is. And not that he's the best player in their class, but damn, like position of need wise, that is, that is a big time get for FSU. Now they need to go ahead and hold on to him and convince him that, yeah, like we're bad and we need you to come help us out and, and be a multi year starter. So that, that'll be the next challenge for Atkins and company as the losses pile up. But you have to think they've been realistic with him and said, look, man, we're, you know, we just got here. We didn't have spring. We didn't have summer. We're trying our best. And we're really looking forward to what we can do as far as, you know, coaching wise in 2021 with you here on this team. So nice job, Coach Alex Atkins, in getting Rod Orr. And that's a hard needle to thread, man, because you're, you're trying to find these guys who you never met in person to try and make these personal relationships with to convince them to come and, and play for you and, uh, and, and, and be, be part of the change. That's that's not easy, and it's it's one of the reasons that, that they're largely struggling in recruiting right now because they're not going to get to meet hardly any of these kids in person. I mean, the dead period is extended to the end of the year. They're going to get to National Signing Day without ever meeting a lot of their commits in person. How crazy is that? Yeah, whatever. Don't care. Let, I'll let them sign tomorrow if we could. Get or get Altemeyer. Let's let's. <laughs> Let's get the signature on the line that is dotted and uh, go ahead and wrap this process up. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, a massive, massive get. And, you know, to an extent, this has been kind of the Rod Orr podcast the last six months or whatever. I mean, we've talked about the fact that it's, I don't know that I've ever had a class that I will define uh, not fully as successful or not based on one kid, but you had to go out. You had to make this step. Um in addressing what is as massive a hole as, as you can find in a college roster. Uh, so like you said, uh, you know, don't, don't need the boys in Knoxville getting any more involved. Uh, need Auburn to stay away and uh, need Rod Ward to ultimately become a Seminole and be the uh, big step forward that this offensive tackle position desperately needs. Are you a fan of, uh, of one Steven Dix here, by the way? Man, I think it's, uh, again, I don't want to blow up all these kids just because they don't look incompetent, but man, Dix looks like a ball player. I mean, he does. He, he he's There's some angles sometimes uh, that aren't perfect, and yeah, he's not ever going to, you know, be a, a Derek Brooks, you know, 4-4 guy sideline to sideline, but that's a ball player. That is a really decent linebacker that you could build around, and that's a guy that I'd be getting as many snaps as possible. Whatever you think is the point to where it's a detriment to him, 
uh, I would take it right to that point, and Dix gets every benefit of the doubt possible when it comes to who takes snaps and, and where they come from. And uh, we haven't seen Lundy. I can certainly understand some of the concerns as to, you know, what a guy that's 258 pounds looks like at that linebacker. But Warner running into holes or guessing holes wrong doesn't do you a whole lot of good at this point. So if it means you're playing a 255 or 260-pound linebacker who's not going to, you know, not going to be a member of the four by 100 team, so be it. Uh, just try to get the kid snaps, see where he fits in, and uh, and uh, Lundy can be a little bit of a question mark on Dix. I think you can have the real confidence that you've got a piece to build around for years to come. I agree with you on that. Uh, we're running way long, so we'll, we'll cut it basically here. But uh, they, they do need to retain Luke Altmeyer. Uh, he, he did tweet, uh, don't rush the process, rather trust the process on Sunday, probably in relation to uh, FSU's 52-10 loss to Miami. Uh, there are you know, some thoughts that Old Miss is getting involved in his recruitment. Obviously, Old Miss, uh, their offense looked great against Florida on the weekend. That's uh, the new Kendall Brile system uh, that they were able to install there pretty quickly. A uh, much better job you know, as far as them installing their offense than Mike Morvell and company did installing the offense here in Tallahassee in the same time period. I think you can argue that Old Miss offensively uh, is much better equipped to have success uh, personnel-wise than FSU is this year. Of course, Ole Miss's defense looks like hot garbage and gave up almost 10 yards of play to Miami, or to, uh, to Florida. So uh, not that Florida's a bad offense. I think they're actually pretty good. But 10 yards of play is, is quite a few yards per play uh, before garbage time allowed by Ole Miss. So we'll have to see. That's probably a storyline to keep monitoring. And of course, as we discussed the youth movement, if and when Trevor Purdy gets back, and I fully expect him to, how much do you play him? And how much does his playing time affect the recruitment of Luke Altmeyer? I mean, if, if Purdy comes in and plays well, A, I think FSU fans will celebrate. And B, does a kid like Altmeyer care if it looks like you have a dude who is establishing himself as the future starter? These are all considerations you, you have to think about as a head coach. Yeah, it will be disappointing if he doesn't sign with Florida State. Ultimately, there will certainly be some shades to uh, to the Sam Howell episode. Um, but uh, to an extent, I give the staff credit for ad- identifying a kid who's had a really strong senior year and has only increased uh, his ranking and, and what he's done. And ultimately, uh, they need to sign Oltemeyer if uh, if at all possible. And it will be one of the you know one of the stories that we look at and something that I don't think this fan base would respond particularly well to, but, uh, you know, you got to deal with what you have, with what you know you have. The last thing you want to do is not not bring Chubba Purdy around because you're concerned about what a kid from Mississippi may do when the University of Mississippi is recruiting him. You know, Purdy could never play, and Altmeyer could wake up in, in February or early December and sign with Mississippi, and, and then you're in the worst of, of both situations. So I think you deal with what you have. You try to develop what you have. And you hope that Altmeyer stays with you, stays with your vision, and, and ultimately comes on board regardless of what either of the freshmen look like. I agree. All right. I will uh, I'll talk to you for the Jacksonville State preview. We're actually going to have to dig into this one. They, they have some dudes who are, are transfers from D1 schools who are playing pretty well, uh, at least in their career. Yeah, quarterback's good. This program is a displayed many times that there is no guaranteed win in early, you know, early season games against competition that should otherwise be uh, deemed as inferior is not, uh, not automatic. So we'll certainly do, do our best to give you an idea as to what that game may look like or, or what to look for. All right, buddy. Be well.
You too, man. Thank you to all the listeners. If you have a chance to give us uh, five-star reviews, very much appreciated. Thank you for the feedback. We'll be here 52 to 10 or not. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Thank you.